The Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged and kinetic skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. Here we are. This is when we really shine. Everyone knows the, the best part of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is the off season. Today, we, uh, we look back at the crushing end of the Sixers season, talk about the playoffs, the regular season, take sort of a, a general look ahead to the off season, talk about the lottery party, of course, recap that, and uh, dip into the Brian Colangelo mailbag as well as some, uh, no, wait, wait, no, it's not the Brian Colangelo mailbag, it's the Lorenzo Brown mailbag and Brian Colangelo relationship advice. And we'll have uh, Underberger on later on for AU's Corner. Before we get going, as we, uh, we tally up all the money that will go to Coded by Kids and the Providence Animal Center for the lottery party, I'm getting rid of some leftover stuff. We had, uh, we had about 70 of the all-access passes left, like with a lanyard, and um, you can buy what's left of them. We might as well sell them and give them to the Providence Animal Center and Coded by Kids. So there's about 50 left. Go to rightstorikisanchez.com, 12 bucks. We'll never make any more of them. Um, I mean, it wouldn't make any sense to make more of them. So get them while they're, while they're hot and they're there. Without any further ado, here is Run the Jewels. We are the murderous pair. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who is filling out the roster with all of our draft picks already. That is Mike Levin. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Why even? I'm back to no veterans, not necessary. (laughs) It's off season time, baby. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so during the playoffs, uh, I like doing the podcast during the playoffs, but there's always this sense of dread that we're going to have to do one after a loss or something bad is going to happen. Um, But this week, right after the lottery party, I was like, oh, now we can do podcasts without any like dread, at least until the end of June. Just a regular amount of Sixers dread that something we don't expect in some crazy way. Will happen. Yep. Before we get going, um, I, if you could give me about the 2018-19 Sixers season at this point, if you were to finish this sentence, I'm feeling blank about that season that just happened. Hmm. Could you give me a word or two, a phrase about when you look back on it? What's the just the feeling in in your stomach, in your brain? Uh, I th- so we're saying now a week removed from yeah from it yeah just with a little context now. Let's say a little gassy. Hmm. Because you had a nice meal. Hmm. There's some good parts about it, but then there's some lingering, just lingering gas. Mm-hmm. And um, you wonder if maybe you shouldn't have ordered that, but it's not debilitating. People just don't like to be around you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's sounds, how I feel. 
familiar feeling for me, at least. Uh, I, I would say I am feeling conflicted about all of it. It was a good ride. There were uh, ups and downs. It was really, truly the first season of expectations for the Sixers. You know, they, they won yeah. 52 the year before, but I think the over-under was around 40 and a half. Um, and, uh, and you didn't amazing think they hit 25. I didn't think, I, I, I still don't. And, uh, and this year, I think the over-under was like 53 and a half, and they actually mm-hmm. came in, they won 51 games and came in under the over-under for wins, which is a, a definitely a different scenario for us. So that's sort of Yeah, I now. mean, you know, we'll talk about everybody specifically, but I, st- I do still think it was a, was a good season. I thought we saw growth from a lot of guys. I thought um, the franchise reacting to, you know, star hunting and sa- and be- and being like bold about that and then coming away with essentially nothing um and then sort of pivoting and saying okay well if we're going to go if we're going to get star free agent types we have to trade for them i thought that was that was smart pivoting and like learning from your mistakes and that's kind of all we can ask for before we get going, it's back. The playoffs are over. The Willie Green Apple Podcast five-star review. We are at 2,356. We need to get to 3,000, at which I will read all of the reviews again on another podcast. I fear it more and more every time I do it. This one comes from Fed Yanin. Uh Subject line is request, please. Five stars. Hey, guys, making this request now while the Sixers wave the white flag here. This one came in during the uh, during a, a, a Toronto blowout. Can you tell fans of the rights Ricky Sanchez to stop using Dietrich as their Twitter profile pick slash Avi? It's kind of stalkerish, and it's almost been a year after the article. Besides that, great stuff. Uh, there are still some people with the Dietrich avatar i think it's it's probably time we just passed a year i think yesterday yesterday i think was the year anniversary of the brian colangelo uh, burner saga happening i think and uh i think it's probably a good time to remove dietrich from your avatar unless you are dietrich so i i thought it was weird for like like when every, you you had everybody do it and then people like lingering for like two or three months. I was like, that's kind of weird. Now yeah. I think it's funny. I think it's, it's oh. got no point where it's, if you have it after a year, then I think may as well just keep writing it. Yeah, I, th- I think the I forget when I told people to do it. I don't know if it was when Colangelo got fired or not, but I, I always thought like 48 hours, maybe even a week seemed like the right amount of time to do it in a year. It is crazy. That people, the people always talk about Embiid's pinned tweet is still the Markel Fultz Undertaker one. Yeah. And they're like, why is that? You know, he's on Twitter a lot. Why is, and I wonder when people log into Twitter and see their picture as Ben Dietrich, if they ever think, yeah, might be time. But I guess I'm with you. Do you want to? Wait, so, I, I, what, while, while we're on the subject, yeah. I can't, I can't avoid it. Um, a couple guys came up to me at the lottery party. Yeah, uh, I talked to a bunch of people at the lottery party, and, and everybody was was delightful and weird and uh, exactly as expected. Um, but a couple guys asked me about Brian Colangelo's the the source for yeah. the Dietrich source for for Burnergate, and I just hadn't thought about it in a while, you know, because so many other things happened and it kind of gets swept under the rug. And when there's no like new developments, things you sort of just get you you sort of just adjust. Your body mm-hmm. just uh, and mind just like sort of adapts to what, okay, this is our reality. There was a source for multiple Colangelo 
Twitter accounts who discovered that it all had to be him and uh, saw the tweets were disparaging players, revealing injury information, and then found a anti-Colangelo type reporter and leaked it to him. Like that that's just a reality and I and we we have not heard from this source mm-hmm. or yep. who anything who who do you think it is? Will we and will we ever hear from this person before they die so, in a deep throat fashion? So we've we've done this conversation before, but truthfully, I could do 10 minutes on this every podcast we do. Easily. Uh, I never tire of talking about all of this, especially this particular thing. So I've thought about this actually a lot, and I didn't think about it a lot when it happened. But I think in the in the last you know six months or whatever, when it comes up, and I'm not even you. If I, I think I've talked to Sharp about it before. What surprises me most? So I think it is somebody who lives in the professional realm of professional basketball, and I think it's possible. Um, maybe even likely that it is somebody within the Sixers organization. And here's why I say that. First of all, the whole story about it being, and I don't think Ben is lying here, and I don't think Ben knows who it is. That's what I would say. I don't think anybody at the ringer knows who it is. I'm, this is not me calling Ben a liar. Yeah, ever, I agree ever. with that. I, the whole story about it being some data person that noticed it in some like algorithm or something. That doesn't make any sense. It's a lie. It's not true. So what I've noticed over the years is that like when people tell us something behind the scenes, when a regular person tells us something and they're like, you have to keep this quiet. If I go ahead and keep it quiet, they just tell enough people to where it's not quiet anymore. Regular people, I think just, I think this is just like a human condition. If you're not used to keeping secrets like this, want people to know what they know. Even the electrician, who wrote TTP <laughs> over in all the light fixtures. That in was the memorialized Camden. in the John Gonzalez article. Yeah, yeah, like he, like he told me not to tell anybody, and then there was a ringer piece about it <laughs> with, with all of the information, all the pictures. And that came after he posted it on Reddit, too. So I think there's just this general sense that you have to tell somebody something. In, in the same way that like serial killers want to be found. Correct, exactly the same thing. <laughs> so, so the fact that and I don't mean this isn't an ego thing, but the fact that this person has never come to you or I, has never come to Derek Bodner, has never, you know, like all of the people who these people always go to when they want something out but don't really want it out, leads me to believe that this person is either a psychopath or a professional. And I lean toward professional because. It, there's so many Twitter trolls out there and there's so many people who tweet things like that, that for somebody to notice all of these things had to have some sort of inside information. And that's sort of where I land on it. How about you? Yeah, that sounds, I mean, that sounds right. The, aside from, which I said this before, aside from the, he, that guy initially, that person initially reaching out to me to, uh, get a hold of him for right for uh, for the story that I'm, I, f- I found it again I want to read I'm going to reread it to you this is it's so fascinating it's just so fucking interesting yeah. hi Mike quick question for you do you have an email for Ben Dietrich I'm trying to get a hold of him for a story alternately can you have him follow me back so I can DM him thank you and that's it 
And that's it. And I never responded. I haven't even accepted the message request. Hmm. And I, want, I want that person to still want something from me. And it's <laughs> me to accept that message request. It's very interesting. I think, I think it's probably, I, I, think, I think two things. There is a very good chance that it's either someone that works for the Sixers or worked for the Sixers or one of those people's, like, friends. Like, they told someone something and then that person who happens to be, like, similarly deep in Sixers Twitter in this, like, process uh, community. Uh, maybe just a lurker. Probably just a lurker. And because uh, we saw after the after the article went out, how deep Sixers Twitter went on figuring out yep. so much more. So I think it, there's a chance that it could just, you know, it could just be fucking like legs or something like that. Uh, yep. If, it, if someone <laughs> tipped off. But legs someone. would tell me. I know. There's but no some, way legs but, can right. keep it a secret. That's my some, point. It'd be some, yeah. I believe it is, I believe it is an, a grown person. I would say that yep. the sources, no way the source is under 35 for having that level of uh, discipline and so, also just the way that they sent mm -hmm. that DM, which was properly capitalized and very efficient. So I don't know. I don't know. I want to yeah. find out. I want to know one day. I don't, I agree that I don't think Dietrich or Chris Ryan or anybody knows. Um, but I think you're right that now that we have a year, which is shockingly only been a year, um, removed from it. I think it is, it's not, it's, it's interesting to look back and say like, we haven't heard anything. So like, this person must be like good. They must, they must know some shit. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the lottery party. Might as well talk about it now. I I had this uh, horrible fear, as I do for all of our events, that nobody will show up. Yeah, I didn't and, want to show up when that shot went in. I was like, I'm not going. I'm not going to lottery and, party. Right, and that that shot going in like raised that fear by a thousand percent. Easily. But n not only did everybody show up, but like it was certainly the right group of people to show up. Um, the lottery party had gotten to a point where we, we not only had our people, but we had people who were just looking to party <laughs> and the last few years. And it just, it seemed like at this one, that this was like, it was truly a goodbye to the party. And, uh, we, I, I'm sure you got the same thing, but the love from everybody, um, and the, like the great stories that, you know, among other things, how we have been there and helped. One guy told me that we helped him get through his long distance relationship. And there are just so many, so many great people, even the, a lot of the Philly front office guys saying how like our podcast, like made them do their the whole thing, you know, like they do podcasts and write articles. And I thought it was just a, it was a, I had such a great time and it was a great way to cleanse the end of the, uh, end of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's always very, you know, we talked about this before, but like you're in it, you see people at mm -hmm. the Phillies game or walking around and all that stuff. And I'm only, I'm no one like stops to talk to me anywhere in my life except for at Xfinity Live on <laughs> right. one night of out of the year. And so it's I, it's very just bizarre for me. And and you know we've done enough of them to where it's like, you know. I'm expecting to talk to people and the, everybody's always very nice. And most people recognize that I'm not Hollis Thompson now. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it is just a really nice thing of a, a bunch of sweet folks in the community. And I think the, you know, various articles have been written after the fact that just sort of, you know, memorializing the last lottery party. And I think it's just, I said it on stage, but I think it's just a really special thing that 
that these people are all like come together for this, you know, ridiculous team and this very dumb podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to take it for granted. I think it's, it's just really, it's just very special and different. Yeah. I, there, there's, I, I doubt that there's ever been anything specifically like what, what we have. And I'm, uh, I've, I've used that phrase a lot to people when they tell me how much they appreciate the pod. I say, every time somebody says that to me, I don't, I do not take it for granted. Like I don't take any of that for granted. And there are a million things around it from the, the guy that waited, that asked us two years ago for high quality pictures just to make giant heads of us two years later. Um, to the, uh, my sister, the, my sister, by the way, took, I took one of the heads and took the now head. her, her daughters are playing with it. <laughs> uh, to uh, the wonderful artist who wasn't happy with her drawing of the uh, Joel Embiid meeting in Milwaukee, so she redrew it and put you in it. Um, like there are just so many uh, things, and even just people telling us that how much it means to them. I just will never ever take it for granted, and I'm so proud of it. Um, and uh, like, and don't. And the, the events are not over. The lottery party itself is over, and I felt like it was a fitting time for it to happen with the final hinky pick or whatever. But, um, but it was a and you know, thanks obviously to Xfinity Live, who are the only people we've we had it at who bought into it. So everyone from uh, yeah, everybody at Xfinity Live who are all wonderful and a big help. And I can be particularly difficult, and they uh, they deal with it. Um, and Agreed. a good thing we didn't. Yes. <laughs> thanks to Choo Choo. Thanks to our oh, wonderful sponsor. He was so great. Yeah. Yep. He loved it. Um, and uh, thanks to our amazing sponsors who were uh, disrespected during the sponsorette <laughs> by you. And, uh, and the one I, I wasn't able to thank who actually helped us out with every uh, big guest we've ever had, including Choo Choo, is Trapiano Bus Company, who sends a, uh, a black car or a limo to pick up our guests and brings them to our party. So, so thank you. Um, thanks to our photographers that were there that night. You can see the pictures on the website. So thank you to, to everybody. It was a, uh, a really fitting end to the party. I thanks to AU for sitting in the corner. Yes, that, that was great. When I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to put a chair in the corner and I'm going to have to take you away from your mom for like during the pod so we can put you there. And he's like, are you going to want me to say anything while I'm up there? I'm like, no, 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 just uh, <laughs> we'll just put you in the corner. <laughs> um, before we get on to uh, I wanted to rate how we felt about all our Sixers during the regular season before we get to the offseason. Before we do that, let's talk about our sponsor, Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Eric was there from uh from big barker rebel sat on the big barker while he did his pictures oh that's another thing that i don't take for granted everybody who's already taken a picture with rebel and the hinky banner just doing it again and donating another five dollars to the charities i thought was awesome too um rebel was on one of the uh the newer big barkers with the process pup patches that i ironed on that afternoon anyone who saw it saw you know, had a couple people push on it they were like that is very supportive of course it's fucking supportive. It's the best dog bed out there. It's the only one engineered by experts to keep your dog's joints healthy as they age. Big dogs, especially over 50 pounds, up to 80% of them develop arthritis as they age. Get the Big Barker. Stop fucking around. BigBarker.com slash Ricky. BigBarker.com slash Ricky is how you get your uh, your Big Barker dog bed so your dog can sleep comfortably with the 
process patches along with it. Eric told me we're right around a couple hundred dogs that are now sleeping on the beds with the, uh, the patches and the embroidery on them, which is pretty impressive. The, the regular dog beds are just, are, they're not up to snuff. They're not good quality. And you're paying 40, 50 bucks for them. Um, you know, you have to buy a new one every other year. It's just not worth it. And it's not worth it for your dog's health. Get a big barker, 10 year warranty. It's going to last you a decade. The foam won't flatten or they will replace it for free. A one year at home trial. If you don't like it anytime during that year, send it back and they will even pay for shipping. Handmade in the United States of America and owned by a truster of the process. Big barker dog bed. Woof. Let's go over, um, I guess, the, uh, like, are you good with doing, like, what, like, uh, I guess uh, a rating rather than a grade, uh, a, a performance versus what you expected from them on a scale of one to 10 for our two major front office people, Brett and Elton, and the players. Sure. Um, I thought it's a good way to go through them. Why don't we start with Brett, who we, we haven't done a pod, a real pod since the exit interviews. I loved Brett's exit interview that was full of swagger and like, like I felt like the whole time he was like, hey, I don't know if you guys understand. It's fucking really good here. Um, we did a really good job. He seemed very proud and sure of himself. Uh, I don't believe that what he said about his job never being in jeopardy. I think it was, or at least he believed that it was. Yeah. Um, I don't I think I mean, I, I, don't, I think it's impossible. That's just... That's kind of nonsense. Like, why wouldn't you say something earlier? Like, you could have said yeah, something so course. much yeah. earlier. You could have at least, yep. like, you don't have to hold a whole press conference, but you leak something to Woj or whatever saying, like, no, the Sixers dispute this. Like, Just like they did. Yeah. Just like they did. They leaked it to Woj the night before he did his presser. Like, he could have done it two weeks earlier. So I thought it was a lie. I thought Brett did one of the best jobs he's done since he's been here this year when we talk about regular season and the playoffs. Um, if we're taking away, I, I just want to talk about him as a coach because I don't know what his his say is in front office. Obviously, he is, he is more involved than he used to be. I thought the job he did as a coach with the changes that they had during the season with the different personalities, basically three sort of alpha type personalities with Embiid, Simmons, and Butler, um, and sort of melding all of them, not letting the Butler thing blow up early when it looked like it, it could have. Um, you know, uh, getting Ben to play off ball during the playoffs. I thought the adjustments during the playoffs. I, I thought he did a, a really good job as a coach this year, um, and I think uh, I think it was the first. The first opportunity we've had to see it, but the first time that we've really seen that, hey, maybe this guy is more than just a cute story and a development guy that maybe he's actually a really good coach too. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I don't think it was, I don't think it was perfect, but I think, I think you know, you look at how many iterations of this team had to exist over the course of the season. The one with Fultz, then the one with Jimmy, then the one with. Jimmy and Tobias, like it's like so many just moving pieces over the course of a season when teams just don't, that just does not happen very often at all. And, you know, there's segments of the fan base now that did not exist during the process years um, who have NFL fan in their bio and just that just don't care about context. Um, 
there's don't they're just like it's an anti-intellectual strain of just like ah just no excuses like that kind of bullshit but there's context and that that's important and we're having it if we're having a real conversation not just like blowing smoke up each other's asses then uh then that matters uh i think that they did go to pick and roll a lot more over the course of the season and then into the playoffs because they now had more pick and roll players like a Simmons Embiid pick and roll doesn't work very well because Simmons isn't a threat to shoot from out there and Embiid isn't a skilled role guy um so now that you have uh Jimmy Tobias then you start to start to think about okay how, how can this be more useful and stuff and I thought over the course of the season um they implemented more and more of that. I think it would have been much better, obviously, if they had more time together as a starting lineup. But even still, they were the best starting lineup in the playoffs. Um, and part of that is Brett, and part of that is just the fact that they are they have the most talent uh, in a starting lineup. And so, um, by net rating. And um, so, yeah, so I, I, I think that... You know, from uh, from a game perspective, I think Brett did a great did a did a pretty good job, and I think from a keeping the locker room together and managing all the personalities, he did a great job. So um, I think he's still learning and developing and growing. Um, I think a lot is going to be focused on those final three possessions, or uh, not three final three, but in that Toronto game seven yep. when they didn't get a shot up in in three straight possessions, um, and the, there's plenty of blame to be thrown around for that but I think uh, ultimately you look at the, the big picture I, th- I think he did a, a majority good to very good job yeah I'd have him as like an 8.5 for the year yeah and I would also it. say that he's is he one of the top 3 or 4 coaches in the NBA no but he's probably in that like 8 to 12 range like, and yeah. that's like yep. and that's like fine and especially when it's about in terms of like on court co- coaching I think that's absolutely fine I think that's a hundred percent fine. Uh, Elton Brand is a tough one to judge for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it's tough because he basically missed free agency. He missed the draft. So it's really only once the season started. I also think, and I've mentioned this several times, that I think there are other mitigating factors. I, don't, I, I hardly think this is just his call. Now that doesn't, I'm not, that isn't me trying to denigrate Elton, but I think he was picked as a guy who obviously would, um, would be part of a collective. And I think that there was probably some ownership pressure to, to make some of those trades this year. Um, like, I hate to judge it by the results, because at the end, I thought they were better than I thought they would be, even though they lost to Toronto. Yeah. It, it, I, I go back and forth. They were better than I thought they'd be, but also Toronto was a lot worse than I thought they were. So I, I think maybe they should have won that. They were probably a stomachache away from winning that series. Um, I think given all he had to deal with, I think... I, I do not like the Tobias Harris trade in retrospect, but but looking at its own, I, I think it's tough. But also, I think there's a, a real possibility that that trade was made as a hedge, given what was going on with Butler at the time too, um, as a hedge against Butler leaving. So there are a lot of things going into it. I, I have trouble coming up with a real number that's not around seven or something. like. Uh, it, it's a tough thing. Um, 
he, you know, he traded basically the remaining non-Embiid Simmons assets for two guys who are unrestricted free agents after the year. So, and they, they didn't get out of the second round. So that is tough. Um, what do you think? Um, again, I'm, I'm going to go to context there. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think the Jimmy trade was, was ballsy and I think it ultimately worked out. Um, I think that if the, if ownership gave him, you know, a level of guarantee that they're absolutely going to go into the tax to sign both of these guys, then I think then that, then he did a great job. Um, I think those, I think both of those trades, when you have Simmons, who's about to get paid, um, a big contract and to hopefully keep him here for a very long time and Embiid who has the absolute potential to be one of the best two or three players in the NBA but is also uh, a very injury I don't even say injury prone but like sort of like a ticking clock um, because he's it's just gonna it's it's gonna go off at some point and uh, who knows if his body's gonna be held together we can get to that stuff but I think there's a level of we've talked about this before, but like going all in for now and also later. I think it was like these two trades were like, okay, if Embiid's healthy, then we have a shot for a long time. And if he's not healthy, then these guys should all we should get enough guys to sort of like be able to carry the load while he's out or recuperating or whatever it is, not just back to backs, but if there's an actual injury. And so I and so I get it. Um, I, I I get both of those trades. Um, I wish it didn't have to be Shamit and that unprotected pick, but I I th- I have to imagine that there were other people trying to get Tobias at the deadline, and that's just what they had to do to to go get it. And I, I if he signs uh, if he signs here long term, I think it's absolutely worth it. The bigger issue for me um, with Elton or just the front office in general's job performance is not being able to get a playable backup center um, from last offseason to during the season to the trade deadline. Um, just pretty inexcusable when you know that Embiid is mm-hmm. who he is and to not have yep. somebody who can protect the rim and uh, move his feet on the perimeter in some Ed Davis-y kind of way. Brooke Lopez was signed for very little to Milwaukee those kinds of those kinds of things like obviously a ton of teams made those mistakes and 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 let valuable players uh get signed elsewhere for not as much money as they deserve but for the Sixers when you know it's Embiid um and you and you still have Amir Johnson and then acquiring Justin Patton and then uh Boban and then Greg Monroe um it's just, it's inexcusable to have that many centers who you know will not be I'll able suck. to hang in the playoffs. Yeah. We will get to those players right after we talk about our sponsor, L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Did not win the sponsorette, <laughs> L.L. Pavorsky. Have you heard any reaction from L.L. after not winning the sponsor? I gave, I gave L.L. a similar thing that Marcus Gasol gave Embiid after the game. Uh... A hug while he cried. Uh, yeah, it was a very like <laughs> hug. Like it was him resting his head on my shoulder and chest and stuff, and breaking down and, and sort of whispering positive reinforcement in his ear. 
L. <laughs> Alpovorsky, the original sponsor of the Right Streaky Sanchez podcast. His signature event, the lottery party, uh, ends without really me conferring with him at all. Has sold 128 engagement rings to Right Streaky Sanchez uh, listeners. I meet, I always see a bunch of them at. Um, at lottery parties. Yeah, they, they make a point to come out and, and approach me as if they're real. Yep, uh, they, as if Lee didn't just pay them to come up to us. Uh, I am, I'm going to perform the wedding ceremony in October of, I believe, number 57 or something. So I feel like there's um, been all talk about you at a wedding ceremony and it's never bro, happened. Bro, look, it, it starts with... Alan and Chandler, and it gets worse from there. The other one, the other wedding just happened uh, this week in Italy. I couldn't do it because the lottery party. In any case, 128 listeners bought, bought uh, engagement rings from LL, uh, and they uh, even, they, people keep going there, and then once they buy the engagement ring, they get gifts there and whatever. It's because it is a, um, he's a great guy that sells uh, great jewelry at a really good price in an atmosphere and an environment that is like low pressure and informative. And that's all you can ask for from a jeweler. He's the best at what he does. If you're going to buy an engagement ring from him, make sure you uh, make an appointment beforehand. You don't have to, you can walk in, but it's more helpful when you do. 215-627-2252. Email him at llpavorsky.com or just tweet at him L- at llpavorsky. He's very active on Twitter. And for, uh, for every podcast, he makes generous donations to our charities, coded by kids and the Providence Animal Center. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. will still be at Xfinity Live every May, raising a banner of himself. <laughs> Joel Embiid. Um, boy, um, if, if you were to do this one at the All-Star break, it would be an easy, like, 10 for me. Um, second half was tough, not, not really due to his, you know, a lot of people that talk about his conditioning seem to leave out the fact that in the first half of this year, there seemed to be absolutely no problem with his conditioning and his off season routine and, uh, fast food and all of those things. Um, you know, I, I, obviously he needs to take better care of himself, but I, I would put a lot more of his second half troubles on the fact that they played him way too much in the first half. Um, He acknowledged it after the year, uh, even mentioned Kawhi and what Kawhi did, not playing any back-to-backs and just being ready for the the season. He got better this year um, in the playoffs that the passing advanced. Um, Their on-off stats when he's on the court versus off have always been tremendous and continue to be so. I would give Embiid a like a, a nine for this year. Um, I thought he was he was great. Yeah, I mean he's gotten better each year. Like it's and not only in in ways of like oh look at this new post move he added or this little whatever wrinkle to his game, but just straight up like you can look at his numbers and you can see that his turnovers have gone down each year, and his assist numbers have gone up and his rebounding has gone up each year. Just straight up, very cleanly. Like, that's, that's the case. And uh, he's now played 158 games, at least in the regular season, and then you can add 19 more in the playoffs. Um, I, I think he's an elite player. I, it's, it's just really special that, you know, you think back to that second summer league when I was in Vegas and, and we realized he was going to miss another season. Um, and that, that was just... I. You know, 
it's devastating to think that that's that's where he was and and to see now like all-star all-nba type player you know it's it's just really great to have him here and playing uh as well as he is now he's just got to you know work on his body work on his conditioning not play back-to-backs be okay you know i think it's i I imagine it's hard to hear people on like you know bullshit telecasts talking about how you know if he's healthy he should play why aren't you playing what is this you know kids these days bullshit blah 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 he wants to prove how tough he is he wants to prove how you know committed to his team he is but you know hopefully he understands and the team understands and the other players understand that like you know he doesn't need to play you know four games in seven days in december like he just doesn't it's that's not necessary and so hopefully that going forward the Sixers have a serviceable backup or just like giving Jonah Bolden like a lot of time to fucking figure it out and get smarter and get more comfortable. Um, Maybe both. Both. Maybe both. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I love him and um, I, I'm glad, I'm glad he cried and I'm glad that he then memed himself crying. Um, yeah. He's the best. He's just the best. And, and, and like and, as much as he was bad, you know, this is, I think this says more about the Sixers backup center rotation or as much about that as it does Embiid. But like in the, in the Raptors series, he was plus 90 in 237 minutes and he was a minus 109 in 99 minutes or he was, the team was, they were, and it's just yeah. like, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely yeah. insane to be down 99 minutes is over two games. And that, that's basically losing two games by 50 points each. And that's it almost seems like they didn't replace him with anybody. Like they played four on five and they could have done better than that. It was like a a, a, like sort of like a two minutes for high sticking. Here's our first hockey reference. (laughs) Some guy came up to me at the lottery party and and shit and gave me shit for for always shitting on hockey. He's like, I'm a hockey fan and a process Sixers fan. (laughs) Shouts to that guy. Uh, Ben Simmons is one that, man, it's impossible. He is one guy, I think, I guess, Embiid at a certain level, too, where it is impossible to talk normally about because his, his career and his, uh, his, you know, everything that he does has become a black or white argument. Um, he was obviously good and obviously uh, was an all-star and I think deserved it. I think deserves credit, both he and Joe deserve credit for how they were able to sort of come together in the second half of the year and play better together. Um, And I thought that Simmons deserves credit for um, playing off ball without moping about it and getting better about it. Um, But for all the people, uh, as we mentioned Ben Dietrich earlier, who, uh, who continue to say that like, he's fine and can be great without shooting. I think they are insane. Um, that is my perspective on it. Uh, if, if they maybe didn't have it like a center, like Embiid, maybe they played with, you know, Channing Fry or something, but, but, uh, Ben Simmons has never really shown any desire to be everyone who talks about him as Draymond Green. Like, you know, we went through that whole, I'm the point guard thing the first year. Um, it's interesting. I thought he played really well, and I think he deserves an eight for how he played. But um, 
the the free throw thing and the shooting thing it just it is it is such an enormous fork in the road for not just him but the franchise in the next two years um at it's I think ignoring it and saying that it's not a big deal is almost is borderline insane. Um, but I thought he played well, uh, and I thought he de- de- deserves credit for how he played. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's something to ignore. I think you can say right now Ben Simmons is a very good player and can get much better if he just became a comfortable shooter from obviously from the foul line, which he improved this year, but. Maybe not in like a huge way, although I do think it's it's notable because he his improvements from the line just going up to sixty percent made him you know more willing to attack the basket and absorb contact and go to the line, uh, which you could see last year was not was not as confident doing. Um, while you know it in the playoffs it, it matters more. You know I think in the regular season he stepped into two threes like actual threes right. Simmons? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that, I think you're going to see him do that more. Um, at, on his time, I don't think he wants to do it. I don't think he loves the idea of doing it, but I think he knows he has to make them pay for playing so far off him. Sometimes he's going to make them pay by doing dribble handoffs with JJ or whoever's there. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's time. And I think it, for everybody. Embiid needs to become a better three-point shooter, and Simmons needs to obviously be willing to take those because if they're going to play together, they have to be able to space the floor a little bit more than just, you know, when one person drives, the other one's right in the paint, like sort of helping clog it up. Um, But I will say for Simmons that his defense in the playoffs was absolutely, like, elite. Um, uh, Mike O'Connor wrote in The Athletic that if there was an all-defense team for the playoffs, he would be on it. And I definitely agree with that. I thought, especially on D'Angelo, you know, the Sixers had a tough time. We've talked about it all throughout um, of defending penetrating guards all season. And he didn't, they didn't really have that problem in the playoffs because Simmons did a great job and Jimmy Butler had a, had a playoff switch. Um, Obviously Kawhi still got his shots, but he was much worse on Simmons than he was against anybody else. Uh, and another fact in the Michael Connor article that Simmons led the NBA in deflections per game in the playoffs. A wow. Little, a little love for, for, uh, for our old pal Cov. Deflection Covington. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think, I think he's a really special player and can impact the game in so many ways. And it's unfortunate that he hasn't been able to just, you know, have an Aaron Baines-level jump shot of just like, all right, in the corner, I can step into this. You know, just if you're playing 10, 15 feet off me or the ball swings to me in rhythm with like three seconds left on the shot clock, I'll just I'll just like pull. So hopefully I'll get there. I really want him to. Um, I think that, you know, you have in the, in the notes that we're not a we're we are not an, a trade and beat or Simmons podcast because holy yeah. shit. Um, so these guys are going to be together for a long time and it, it will help both of them coexist if they're each willing to take threes at a somewhat confident level 
I, I am firmly, I believe firmly that, that Ben Simmons needs to be the first or second best player on the Sixers for them to win a championship. I just, I, that, that's how I feel. And I think he's got to, he's got to start doing that. And this is, this is 100% me. I am taking credit for this take, but, um, I understand that his brother is a basketball coach and I'm sure he's very, um, talented in being a basketball coach, but like the thing that I would say, um, and I have no objection to him coaching him, but the thing that I would say is that like Ben is 22 years old and still like doesn't shoot. Um, and I think it would be healthy for him to like maybe look elsewhere with that in the off season. I know he's not going to, but, um, and I, I, I know when pe- I think generally when people say, I, I hope I'm wrong, I think they're lying. I'm, I genuinely hope I'm wrong on this because it would be, it would be devastating in a, in a, in a, for the rest of the league way if he were to come back and just be shooting those open threes and shooting 70% from the line. But I just, I sort of wonder about the same message from the same person over and over and over again. Um, and I think sometimes hearing it from somebody else can be an advantage. So, yeah. Um, you know, just the, my two cents on it. Um, and I think one, one, one last thing about that. People, yeah. Another thing Brett people blame Brett for is Ben not taking threes regularly. Um, people being like, just make them. Just you have to make them take those threes. And it's like these guys are like, <laughs> like the idea that he would like bench Simmons for right. it's an crazy. extended period of time if he doesn't do something he's comfortable with. Uh, it, is, it is crazy. And I, I don't know that I agree with totally that he needs to be the best or second best player. I think he can be a... A, a Draymond type offensive player that's like better in transition that has more moves around the basket and hopefully that will take shots at it from uh, with him with more consistency while still like you know deferring to the shooters on the team uh, that that can come off screens and, and and play more in isolation well I think the tricky thing about that is that at his peak you would argue that maybe Draymond was like a top 12 player in the NBA um, and that would make Ben Simmons the second best player on the Sixers, I think. So that that's fair. I mean, I I, I guess yeah. it's, I guess in terms of like second option on offense doesn't necessarily mean second best player. If that's yes, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, before we get to AU, let's do uh, let's do two more guys. Let's do uh, let's do Redick. Um, look, I, I don't know. Based on expectations and what he was. Like Reddick's a nine. Red, I, for, for what I think JJ Reddick is capable of doing and what JJ Reddick did, I like I'm I'm not his biggest fan, but I thought he did exactly what JJ Reddick was supposed to do, and I thought his um, his he has not really regressed in the the couple years he's been here, even though he's 35 years old, and I'm sure I'm sure we will be the ones that um, that are paying. Uh, JJ Redick, sixteen million dollars a year when he has his regression season. Season, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. But I thought he was good this year. Yeah, I mean, he's not not to not the points per game matter the most, but his last two seasons have been his highest points per game in his career um, at thirty three and thirty four, and that is it just shows how much the Sixers' offense depends on him, um, even through various iterations, um, with different you know guys suiting up i thought that he's 
his three, you know, this is his first year in four years that he shot under 40% from three. Um, under 42% from three, even. He, he's, been, he's been very good the past four years, and he shot 39.7, which is, which is great. But, you know, you think about how many, a couple things here or there, it's, it, it really changes the dynamic of the game. And we'll get to that when, when Tobias, we talk about Tobias. But um, I was really impressed with JJ in the playoffs. Uh, defensively, I thought he was um, just incredible for, what, for, for, the, for who he is. I thought that um, he hedged really hard and got back to his guy. He didn't, they didn't just accept the switch that the offense wanted to give them, and that's what, kind of what I've been calling for all year. Um, and so I feel, I feel, I feel great about JJ's season. I would, I think he's absolutely necessary to this team. And if you can get him on a, a three-year, like you're going to end your career here, um, deal, in terms of like, all right, you don't have to, you know, next season you'll start. And then maybe you'll go to the bench and then you'll just sort of ease ease out of it and become just like a nice role player spot guy. Um, then that so the so the regression doesn't like hurt as bad. That would that'd be great for me. Um, obviously with the caveat that I still hate the fact that he does not get to a single loose ball and will and will and, and as he gets older will seemingly try less to even get there. I, I can't imagine how he could try less to get to a loose ball than he is now, but I'm sure we'll see it. Um, but I think that he, he should be here, and I think he's good for Brett, good for the locker room, good for Embiid. Um, and just even even when he's not... I said earlier that uh, J.J. Redick, when he's off, is the worst player in the NBA. And I think that that's wrong just because, especially when he's locked in on defense, he is not as bad as advertised. And... Um, just the, him being on the court is such a threat to the other team uh, defensively that they have to account for him, um, that it opens other guys up, even when he's missing. I can't wait after the Sixers sign him when he does his mailbag podcast to tell us what team he almost signed with yeah. for the third straight year. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, before we get to AU, we'll do one more player. Um, uh, one, uh, James, not James, Jimmy Butler. Boy, we had, I mean, if you could have the entire Jimmy Butler experience in six months, we definitely got a lot of the Jimmy Butler experience. Um, I don't think we got as much of the lows as advertised. Yeah, I, I don't think you get them in the, the first year. We did get some of the lows. And instead of the lows, we did get weirdness. The, the no shooting weirdness was definitely weird and, and did happen. Mm -hmm. That was odd. It was definitely odd. I thought Jimmy was obviously uh, really, really good in the playoffs, and I thought he was hit or miss during the regular season. I've said a bunch of times I, I don't think he can be that hit or miss during the regular season. I'd rather give him 12 games off and, and have him playing at a normal level instead of um, like sort of half half-hearted playing. I, I still think the Sixers need to be really good during the regular season. Um, I'm still frightened about the contract. We're just talking about this year. I thought he was good. Um, I would say I would give him uh, an eight and a half based on what my expectation was. Sure. I, th I thought he was, he was really good. Yeah. I mean, in the playoffs, he turned, in the playoffs. He, he turned it on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, sort of 
inexplicably, and we'll talk about it with Tobias also, he, uh, I guess not that much. He, I was thinking about him being worse here. As He shot 2.73s per game when in the first, when with Minnesota, he shot closer to four over the over his time there. Um, and it's not like Brett's telling him not to take threes. Um, but for whatever reason, he didn't, he didn't like it. He didn't like him, didn't want to do him. Um, but I really, I thought there was a level of, is this guy as athletic as advertised? Is, does he have as much defense as we thought he did? And uh, and he does. And he put it on the playoffs. Yeah. And I think Embiid could take a, a lesson from um, maybe not quite to this level, but uh, take a lesson from like, all right, well, here's this guy who's really good, who's been on four all-star teams, who's uh, a top 25-ish player in the, in the NBA. And... He's like you know playing at eighty percent during the regular season, and so and and then locks in during the playoffs, and so like maybe I can do that because I think I think eighty percent Embiid in the regular season, not diving for balls, not going on the ground, not not trying to get every single chase down block, is still like a really good player, and I'd like him to just make sure he's healthier and has that next level in the playoffs. So um, I would say ninety percent. Sure, I would I would like ninety. Sure. Yeah, um, eighty. But yeah, Jimmy. But, Jimmy was great, and I thought he was great here. And uh, we can parse his language of how he is saying goodbye or saying thank you or wants to be back or doesn't. There's going to be a ton of rumors out of his camp of where he wants to go and stuff. But uh, I think he's. I think he's a great player. I, I think he's really uh, helpful to winning, and I would like him here. I would. I. I think there's zero chance of him going anywhere if they offer him the full max. I would say I think that's impossible that he would leave. Um, my my concern, I guess, is you say like we don't know why he only took two point seven threes, but it it's not really like it's I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the more he got the ball, like all of a sudden he would take ten threes in a game. Um, I think there was a little sort of like he doesn't like shooting off the couch catch, and I think there was a little bit of like sort of uh, pout playing by not shooting the threes because he wasn't getting the ball as much as he wanted. Um, and I, I do worry about a guy that won't shoot threes off the catch getting older. And and the the only other thing I would say is that this the him and Simmons thing was, was fine this year, but um, I'd be interested in it moving forward. Like, I don't think Ben Simmons is going to be thrilled if he is off-ball Ben Simmons a lot because of Jimmy Butler. And I think that's something that they're going to have to resolve um, and be sure that everybody is good playing how they're going to play moving forward. Right. Because I don't think that's as simple as uh, as we'd like like it to be. That's fair. Um, before we get to Andrew Unterberger, let's talk about our sponsor, Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. Cornblow, of course, was at the lottery party, was not named Sponsorette, but that will not stop him from getting the biggest and best. I don't know if there's anything besides best uh, other than biggest when it comes to personal law, personal injury uh, law firms. But he will get you the biggest results, the best possible results for your personal injury case, no matter what that personal injury is. They specialize in medical malpractice, but any sort of injury you have, whether it's injured at work or a car accident or a slip and fall, Cornblow and Cornblow has been there for 40 years. His parents started it, and now he is the one um, leading you into battle, the battle of the courtroom, the battle with insurance companies. 
you want a guy like Adam Kornblau, who is obsessed, literally obsessed, the same way Hinky was obsessed with, uh, with value, Kornblau is obsessed with getting you the best result in your personal injury case. He's a great guy, and these cases can take a long time and be very complicated. And having a guy um, that is, you know, sort of like in our community and part of the podcast and to be your your personal injury lawyer is both encouraging and a little disturbing. Um, If you get hurt, do not be a hero. Do not, um, what what are the two? Oh, don't lie. Don't be a hero. Those are two rules. If you get hurt, call Cornblow. If you think you might have a case, give him a call or shoot him an email. 215-576-7200. Ask for Adam or email cornblow at cornblow and cornblow.com. The and is spelled out A-N-D. Or just go to the lawyersfortheprocess.com. Adam Cornblow, the official lawyer of the process. Now we have the guy that sits in the corner. That is right. He sits in the corner on stage. That is Andrew Unterberger, as always, brought to you by Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. whether you're buying uh, Vans or Nikes or Converse or, or actual skateboards. AU. Yeah, AU. what's up? Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was great to to get to explain to people after the lottery party, like when they asked me, like, oh, like, did you do anything there? I was like, yeah, I, I was invited on stage to specifically do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Got to lean into the bit. Oh, yeah. Yep. No, all the way in. Absolutely. The, the pictures are wonderful. The pictures <laughs> of you. There, there's one uh, of you roaring as uh, Choo Choo had said something. I just thought it was. Yeah, a great I like picture. that one, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah before so, we get to your stuff, you want to say something about Kinetic? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so speaking of, of pictures of me at the uh, at the lottery party, uh, you, you, you may or may not have noticed that I, I was decked out in a Kinetic uh, hoodie and uh, America sneakers. I also uh, got a kinetic. Uh, I, made, I made a pilgrimage there about a month ago. It was uh, the first night of Passover, and the kinetic skate shop is like around the corner from my cousin in Delaware. So I stopped in, uh, and you know Ben was obviously extremely friendly. Uh, you know, we, we, we chopped it up for a little bit first, and, uh, and not only did I get the sweat the sweatshirt, but uh, which is now like a very big part of my like outerwear rotation. But, uh, you know, he helped me out with the sneakers. I, I have very unusually shaped feet, so I usually don't have much luck uh, getting sneakers in store. What shape? He took out. <laughs> yeah, what well, the fuck I, does that mean? Well, I, I, they're just, they're just like, kind of big. I, I, it's, it's size 14, but I also need, like, a wide as well, and not a lot of stores have them. A 14 uh, but wide? I got three. Damn, 14 dog. wide, yeah. But, yeah, I know, man. But uh, <laughs> he took out three pairs and, uh, you, you know, tried them on until one of them worked. Uh, they're the only pair of sneakers that I've ever had that my girlfriend actually likes. Uh, so uh, proud to represent for Ben at the uh, at the lottery party. So AU wrote a thing that I wanted to talk to him about this week, uh, and the title you can see it at writesrickysanchez.com. It uh, the title is something to the effect of uh, "Sports have to be more than whether or not the shot bounces in," and it was a lot of things in one article. Um, you Always know is. about the. Yeah, about the, the the regular season and the playoffs and the questions in the off season and Brett and all of those things in. But to whittle it down, and you can tell me if I'm doing this right, it, it's basically like um, something to the effect of you have to be able to judge whether they were good or not or whether they met your expectations 
um, on more than whether the final shot goes in or not. Like mostly that they were good enough to beat the Raptors and that means something to you other than um, you know, whether they actually beat the Raptors. Is that a fair way to state it? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there are definitely a lot of people who are going to say, you know, they're going to look back at this year compared to last year and say, well, you know, once again, we lost in the conference semifinals. How, 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 how long do we have to do this for? Like, something's got to change. But I, I do think, as you're saying, like, it's pretty clear if you actually watch both series. I mean, not only did this series go seven, but the teams were just very, very evenly matched. And, you know, there were there were blowouts on both sides. There were close games on both sides. There were like a lot of what ifs on both sides. But I think when you, when you get down to it, 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 it's fair that it got to a game seven and that it got to a final shot because, I mean, we, the two teams really did seem to be almost exactly equally as good as one another. And that's very different than last year where the Celtics, you know, I mean, the, the, there were close games in that series, too. But the, it, it was a matter of the Celtics really just outperforming us down the stretch in that series. And the, the, there were also blowouts as well. So I, it, it, it really felt different to me. Uh, at the end of this series versus the end of the last one. And I, I would always much rather, you know, I, I had coworkers coming up to me saying, like, man, that was so terrible. Like, I would, I would, I would rather lost that game by 40. And then for, for me, that's never the case. I'd, I'd always rather lose on a buzzer beater at the last second. With it. You know, it was a fluky bounce that, you know, defy the laws of physics. Uh, that, that, that's a much, a much less painful way for me to lose than just clearly not being in the same class as the other team, which I think you could say about the Sixers and the Celtics last year. I agree with that. I agree. Here's the question I would, I would bring up, though. Um, I think, and this is, this is the obviously very, uh, very me, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would imagine that you would feel some of this too with, with all of the changes that they made and they, and like this sort of, sometimes I would look at the Sixers and it would be like Mike Scott, Boban, Tobias Harris, James Ennis, like all on the court at the same time. Sure. And I would look at them and I would go, well, I don't even really know who the fuck any of these guys are. Like, I know who they are in a literal sense, but um, but I, I don't feel married to them in a player sense. When that happens and when, and when the team continually talks about advancing um, and, and do this in the name of advancing, I think... For me personally, at least, and I'm a very big proponent of what you say, like I think winning and losing in terms of sports is sort of overrated in that, especially in terms of championships. Most teams are not winning the championships. You're mostly not going to mm-hmm. win the championship. If you can't find something to enjoy, you're going to have a, a really fucking miserable experience. But, um, but the fact that they were all new and like pretty recent made, I think, winning and losing more important to me because I did not have the other things. That I that I'm used to having, um, yeah. I guess a a connection and a familiarity that I that I've been that I've grown used to. Well, you you wouldn't say that it developed pretty quickly with those guys. I mean, maybe, maybe not Tobias to quite the same extent, but you know, even he had the you know the Toby and Bobby stuff. I, I feel like the fan base really it didn't feel like these guys were strangers to me by the time they got to the postseason. It felt like most of them had been there for like a meaningful part of the of, of the process era, even though it had been pretty. You know, it, it, it was only a couple of months in real time, but it felt, I don't know, maybe because those, those months were so dramatic and, and, you know, there was the Celtics win and there was, you know, the, all, all the painful losses. It, it felt like we had kind of been through the ringer with a lot of those guys already. It didn't it didn't just feel like we were rooting for rentals, at least not to me. Yeah. Mike, how do you feel? Yeah, I think the there was there was a level of like rental to like Wilson Chandler and Mike Muscala that felt like who are these guys? But because yeah. but like going sort of going through like going to battle with. With like Mike Scott and James Ennis and like Bobby and like these and like the new guys, you just, it it sort of binds you together. And so by the end, 
in that game seven, it wasn't like this is sort of a journeyman team of like just ramshackle parts and like nobody to really hang your head on aside from Embiid and Simmons and maybe TJ who doesn't play anymore. I it really felt like they were our guys and they were like like process level beloved. And so I think uh, whether that's because of their personality or just because the time of year that they got them or the way they played and the playoff intensity something, I think uh, that didn't that didn't bother me. That wasn't crossing through my mind. Uh, before we get to, um, before we wrap up with AU, I want to give AU one more chance uh, because <laughs> at, when, when, we, when, we, when Mike and I go back to our, our grades for the, the season, the first guy we're going to go back to is actually one Tobias Harris. Mm. So I, I wanted to give AU just one more chance, and I know I didn't ask you this, but like one more chance to just sort of talk about that trade. Yeah. And, and how you feel about so it. So I, I, the, the one article that I never got a chance to to write for the Rice Ricky Sanchez at the end of the year was an article that kind of, did, you know, looked at the entire uh, chain reaction that happened from the, the Tobias trade. Uh, and it was going to be titled, Tobias Harris was literally never an all-star. And I, I think that, that was somewhere along the line, we kind of lost the thread with that, that there, were, there was this sort of feeling that we have four all-star players on the team and they're perennial all-stars and how can you not lose with four all-stars or you know, how, how can you ever lose with four all-stars on your team that was never Tobias Harris Tobias Harris played half a season of almost all-star caliber basketball twice and they weren't in the same season uh, and you know he, he was very good for the Clippers but the Clippers were also you know, they, they, he was sort of redundant on that team to a certain extent I mean they, he, they, they, they didn't need him the way that they needed Lou Williams or Montrezl Harrell or maybe even Patrick Beverly. And you, you saw the way that the, the team took off without him. Uh, and, and he was he was just kind of putting up numbers on that team. He, he wasn't necessarily doing a ton else. Uh, and, and that's fine. I mean, like he, 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 he was an overqualified fourth option for the Sixers team. He's a good scorer. He's, he's solid on defense. Yeah, I thought he actually played pretty well defense on the, in, that, in that most of that Toronto series. Yep. But he was always just sort of overbilled to the Sixers fans as like, okay, this is the missing piece. This is the guy that's going to put us over the top. And, you know, in in a a world in which the Sixers were already on the same level, very obviously with Toronto and Milwaukee and and Boston, and and they just needed something else to one more. They were one where one player away from very obviously being the best team in the East. Then maybe that could have been Tobias Harris. That wasn't the case. It was never the case. And it, it certainly was not borne out to be the case. And. I mean, the, the, the idea that we needed Tobias Harris, we needed a Tobias Harris type upgrade for this season specifically was always ridiculous. And, and it never made any sense. Uh, ben Simmons is 22. Joel Embiid is 25. We're going to have cap space this summer. Who knows what the cap situation is going to be in the future? There, there, there was no particular urgency. Like people, people already started talking about like a championship window with this team. There is no championship window with this team. Not yet. I mean, maybe there will be in five years. Maybe there will be if, if you know, the recurring injuries with Joel and then we, we don't know what happens there. But right now, you, you can't start thinking about the ending when the beginning was just two years ago, really. Like, it's absurd to think that this was this was a window that had to be filled right now. And it's, it's equally absurd to think that Tobias Harris was the player to do it with. And the, the idea that his upgrade was, was so necessary for this team this year that we had to give up like basically three premium assets to get him. Uh, I, 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 I just don't see where the logic was from. Wasn't Chandler that, premium asset? No, no, but the, the, the two first-round picks and Shamit. 
Are you saying I there should be four with Wilson Chandler? Maybe, maybe maybe that's an argument to be had too. I, I forgot. And, and there were other that second first round pick. I forgot. Yeah, about I can't that. forget about that man. Yeah, and, and and there were minor cosmetic upgrades to going from. Uh, from Muscala to Boban, I mean, maybe you could argue that hurt us more in the Toronto series, but uh, and, and and just getting Mike Scott in the fold, obviously that ended up being pretty pretty big for us. But it just it wasn't the kind of home run trade that you know if you're if you're if you're trading two first rounders and a, a, a really good young player, you really need to be getting a star and you really need to be getting him for a long time. And people say like, oh, you can't judge the trade until uh, until like, he resigns, and then you see what happens with the team from there. But he was if he's a free agent this summer, we could have gotten him anyway. It, 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 but that's it's not, not like but that's we, the thing. we we talked about that earlier in the podcast, and that's I think they went into this offseason, went to the last offseason, star hunting, wanting to get somebody. They got no one, and this was the adjustment that they made was all right. Well, we yeah. got to go trade for a guy. We can't just assume we're going to be able to. And that's you know, fine if if, if you're trading a re, if you're getting him at a reasonable value or for a reasonable amount of time. But yeah. to, to overpay for a half-year rental for a guy that isn't a max player to begin with, I mean, yes, we have the advantage of having him in the door. We can offer him more money, but we don't really want to offer him that much money. If we, if we get him for that much money, then that's just doubling down on the bad trade we've already had. It's, it's throwing good money after bad. And and this, this, this isn't the, – the, the, there was no urgency to this. Like, it, it was manufactured urgency by the front office saying, you know, at the beginning of the season, oh, we're star hunting, we're, we're trying to compete for a championship, we, uh, we, we would be uh, disappointing if we lost the Celtics again. Like, the only urgency that this team had to compete this year was what they, they had instilled in it from the beginning. Sure. So it, it, it's, it's faulty logic r- right from the jump. And, you know, the, the worst part might not even be over if we end up paying, if we end up giving Tobias a max contract and he's not, you know, he, he doesn't continue to improve from here. And I think he might. Actually, I, I think he's a good player and I think he's, he's worth investing in to a certain extent. But he, he, I saw nothing from him this playoff run at the end of the season that made me think that this guy's going to be one of the 20 best players in the league. I saw nothing from him to make me think that I want to be paying this guy over $30 million from now in five years. Like, it, it's it's. It's such a faulty chain of logic, and every every bad decision and every every stupid PR move just kind of compounds on the one that that came before it, and and now we're going to be left with with a team that you know could have we could have gone into the season this next season with Joel, Jimmy, Ben Simmons, and assets for the future that either could have you know been grown to to help replenish the team on the back end, or could have been cashed in for a legitimate star on a legitimate contract. And now we don't have either. Uh, and now we really, really just need to hope that these five guys can be kept together and that everyone comes back and that everyone can kind of grow in, into the team that we thought that we were, we were building initially. But the, the, you know, there was no way that they were going to turn into that overnight. I mean, it's, it's, you guys have talked how many times about how you, know, you, you, need, you need time to, to simmer with, with new, new players and building new chemistry and, and, and getting the team to where it needs to be. It doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't even happen probably in two months or in, in, in two rounds of the playoffs. So uh, th- th- there's there's a lot of investment in, in a team that that didn't need to to have that big a gamble put on it, and, and now we are where we are, and we don't have a lot of options. Wow, that was more than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I mean, I think, do you disagree with any of that? Like, it was definitely a gamble. I, I think I think that the, the Sixers had the best starting lineup in the postseason uh, by net rating, and Tobias Harris was a big part of that. I think that sure. Um, I, th- I agree with you that his defense was better in the playoffs than we, uh, than than was advertised. And I think, look, he shot forty three percent from from three uh, in fifty five games as a Clipper this year, and he shot thirty two point six percent from three in the regular season as a Sixer. He shot thirty five percent from three in the playoffs, but that was buoyed by a six for six game three against the Nets, uh, three point shooting outing. So he was really closer to 
if you take away that six for six, then he was 28% the rest of the playoffs. And I, those were open looks. He's getting those open looks. Yeah, and I think, I think normally he hits those. And if he hits those, we're, we're playing in the conference finals right now. Um, it, it, it is frustrating. Uh, he did. I, th- I felt that he moved the ball better in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. He passed the ball more. I think. I think they were gelling together, and he was. And he was getting a sense of like when guys are open and rolling and all that stuff. Um, absolutely, you're right that like you know it takes it took guys time to gel, and I think Tobias was just struggled more than anybody else in terms of finding what his place was on this team. Um, I, I think to some extent, like had a couple more of those open threes went in. We'd be we'd be looking back at that trade fondly. Like I, I like Landry Shamit. I think uh, he's going to be like a, a, a like a fringe starter level player in the NBA. Um, I if you had Shamit here, then I I would absolutely argue that you don't you would just not need to re sign JJ, and that'd be a, uh, a nice advantage. And then you could try to get some more assets with those with those picks. Um, but I think they, I think they did a combination of going for it and going for it for the future, and I think this team is better with it with Tobias Harris on it than without. Well, that yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I do disagree with the idea that uh, the conference finals berth would have justified the trade. I, I, I really just don't think that there's a justification for that trade. I mean, if they'd won the championship, you can really never argue against the championship, I guess. But making it to the conference finals, I, I, I don't feel appreciably different about this team than I than I would otherwise. I don't think uh, like, and, and and just I mean the amount the amount that they gave up for him, it's an overpay in, in any stretch of the imagination. Like there, there's no justification for giving away all three of those assets. I, I, I see no version of the deal that wouldn't have worked with just two of them. I think a lot of versions would have worked if, with just one of them, considering if, he was an expiring player that the Clippers don't even really want to resign in the first but place. But if the Clippers had other offers, like from Brooklyn, from sure. Uh, uh, who, any other team that, that was that's that's been reportedly interested in Utah, like interested in, in going after him, if if there were multiple offers, then they had up. I, I think that I think you hold strong without having to make that that adding that second pick. I think Shamit was necessary. I don't think they do the trade without Shamit, but I think without Maybe. doing that second pick, I forgot about it because they ended up getting that pick back in the Markel trade. So I was like, all right, it's, I basically described it as a wash in my mind, but. Uh, by, by the way, speak, speaking of that, just real quick, uh, a friend of, the, friend of the podcast, Jason Lipschitz, had encouraged me to write something about how that trade might actually be a, a sneakily disastrous for the Sixers, which is, is something we haven't really thought much about with all the other stuff going on. But considering uh, OKC's like super poor performance in the playoffs and the sort of uncertain future there, uh, that pick is, you know, if, if OKC is not a top 10 team next year, I think that pick turns into two second rounders. Mm, and meanwhile, yeah, all else, we, the only other thing we got out of it was just, just Jonathan Simmons, who, uh, I mean, uh, enough, enough said there. But uh, like, well, we, we kind of need that pick to justify this trade. Uh, that, that pick ends up being kind of crucial for, uh, for, for us not, not being totally depleted in the years to come. Can, sure. can I tell you that the, the offer they got from Orlando was far and away the best offer that any Oh, I don't doubt it. Sure. Faults. And and like no like if if you had heard a couple of the other offers that I was told <laughs> like you would be you would be horrified at, right. at what people were offering for Markel Fultz um, and just to go to go back uh, to the trade itself I think you ha- you just have to be willing to walk away and I think like Mike to your point about other people bidding for him I just I, I think ultimately AU's point which I, the the point the part of it that I agree with is that. This I don't think the trade. I think Tobias Harris is good, and I'm I'm okay with him being here. But I, I don't think the trade was necessary, and I think they were maybe operating from a point 
that it was necessary. And I do think there was a Butler component to that, a little bit of a, a Butler worry. But, um, but if, if the Clippers know you're not going to walk away, then you're definitely going to get taken in the deal. Like we're, we're sort of at the, the exact opposite of the Hinky era in that Hinky got to operate under this, under this uh, umbrella of I don't have to win anyway. It doesn't really matter. So I'm just going to hunt around for and take all the bad contracts and hunt around for deals and walk away if I have to. And um, it, it just feels like they're in the opposite scenario now, which makes them overpay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not like this team had a Tobias Harris shaped hole in it that like they desperately needed a fill or that they or that they needed anybody to fill really. Like it, it, the, the 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 things that Tobias Harris offers this team are valuable, but they're they're kind of a surplus. I mean, it, it's, it's just more scoring, it's more size, it's more. You know, Wilson Chandler was, switchability, was I guess. very mediocre. It was terrible. And yeah. That's certainly getting, true. Getting Mike Scott, and, and I know it wasn't all about this year. I, I think, but I think it could be both. I think it could be say. We have Boban, who is a good regular season replacement or backup for Embiid. And we have Mike Scott, who is pivotal in the playoff run. Uh, and Tobias Harris, who is much better than Wilson Chandler. So those, those things all no, I mean, like, yeah, add up that, to that, be that. like, we hope it helps this year, which it did. And we hope it helps in the future, which I guess that depends on if you would rather have, say, say, the, say the OKC Fultz, thing is, or Fultz pick is a wash. Um, then you, you're saying, would you trade... Landry Shamit rookie deal and that Miami pick for Tobias Harris on a long-term contract. And I think the Sixers were, said yes, you know, as for, for now and for the future. Uh, I'm glad he's here. I wish I wish there was some way to do it without, without trading Shamit because I think he would have been valuable as well. Let's say Tobias Harris is cost full max $35 million a year. Like... I know I've been talking about Malcolm Brogdon for half a year, but like, what does it cost to make Milwaukee not match? And doesn't doesn't like Brogdon, Redick, Butler, Simmons, and Bead make more sense? I, I think like Brogdon have, might cost like twenty to twenty five. I would pay. I wouldn't you rather pay twenty million dollars to Brogdon than thirty six for Harris? The thing about Brogdon, I've always liked him. I liked him coming out of college, but there were a ton of injury reports about how bad his knees are. There were just like a ton yeah. and he's missed a decent amount of time with those things. That's the stuff that we, as, as people that don't get like the medical, we're just never going to know. And so we'll be like, that guy's good, but it's like his knees are, you know, going to explode in five minutes. So it, there's just, that's the thing I don't know. So if, if you told me that Malcolm Brogdon's going to be as healthy as Tobias Harris for the next four years, then absolutely. Um, but if that's, if it's not, then I know it's, I think it's tough. He'll fit right in. All right, AU, thank you. We got to get back to the rest of the roster. Um, thanks for uh, all your great work this season. We look forward to lots of nonsense during the offseason. Love you, baby. Um, well, he's gone, I guess. Uh, well, that was a lot on Tobias Harris. Yeah. Uh, we could just move on to Mike Scott, uh, I think, should is a perfect rotation player. He disappeared in some playoff games, but he's a, a backup Uh wing slash big i don't know I, th I thought mike scott mike scott and james ennis i would put both in the i would like to have them both on the roster next yeah, year why not i think if you can get them for in like the four four or five range three to five maybe for ennis if you can do like a three or nine million deal for like ennis that's nice nice and cheap uh hopefully hopefully it happens i think both guys 
were uh, in, I think you're right, like the perfect role player types. And they and Mike Scott obviously became like a folk hero. Um, and I think James Ennis, like, uh, did he get a what? Did, he got a dog that Simmons recommended. Is that what he said? Yeah, I love yeah. it. I mean, yeah. just guys, it's like that's exactly what you want. Like exactly what you want. Like Justin Anderson level. <laughs> happy to be here. Just befriending whoever. I'm gonna get a dog now because you said so. <laughs> Feels very Justin Andersony. Uh, hopefully more, you know, obviously more playable than Justin Anderson at this point. Um, but yeah, I would if if depending on how the money works, I'd absolutely like to keep those guys. Yeah, I, that's really all I have on on those two guys. Uh, Boban, you know, because he got here at the end of the year and we saw what he was not good at, uh, it, you know, you know the, the playoffs notably, uh, I think maybe if he was here all season, does that in, in the just regular season basketball games, does that give us, I, I think they can do better than Boban. And I think there are a lot of guys on the market that would, be better than Boban and they've all been mentioned I think Deadman probably starts somewhere but from Kylo Quinn to Ed Davis to you know Nerlens, all these guys on on the market but I think if Boban was here all season we would have been able to spell Embiid much better than we did because I think he's playable in a lot of regular season games oh yeah I agree a hundred percent um the question is like how much do you value that how much do you value a guy that can compete in the regular season and be fine? And when they're, when they're not hunting switches so much and everything's not, you know, diagrammed to a T and, uh, he's not going to be forced to, you know, just pin himself to it, whether it's a six, two guard on a switch or, and dropping in a pick and roll or, uh, having to go out and, and really cover pick and pops with, you know, Brooke Lopez or Marcus Sol. Um, cause he was really good in that Brooklyn series. Yeah. Um, and he's got a good jumper and I think that, I think his three point shot is absolutely going to continue to develop and be a weapon. Um, where, you know, if he can get better, I don't, I don't know how much, how possible this is, but he can, if he can even get better as just a rim protector, cause that's the thing with Boban is that like, obviously he's a good rebounder. Um, he's got nice touch. He's a good foul shooter. And I think that he could be that like sort of stretch five with Ben that is exciting without without him beating the court that's willing to take those threes that's willing to just make you pay for it so I, I, I hope he takes a million threes this offseason and, and becomes that guy if he can become a rim protector in a way that he's just not you you think about like Spencer Dinwiddie just going into him and like finishing inside like that shouldn't happen he shouldn't be allowed to do that like Boban should just be able to block everything at the rim and if it's if it's that if that's at the expense of you know pick and pops where he can't get out there because he can't move his feet well enough, then it's like, okay, well, at least he, you know he's going to protect the rim. Bowman kind of can't do either at this point, which is frustrating. Um, but I believe in him, and I tr- he tries. And if if the Sixers think that he's a better rim protector than he, and then he has shown that he can get there, then I would then I would explore, like, sure, why not? Why not try to get him for a couple million? Because he's, you know, good locker room guy can spell and beat well, didn't he make stuff. like seven or eight this year i don't know what his salary was but i think he made good money yeah that was off of a, a previous deal with like detroit or something okay yeah um jonathan simmons was fucking terrible um but i loved him because he reminded me of the process yeah but he was just horrible. i think i just a, i think if you can horrible. yeah absolutely horrible um 
and I really, I don't, I don't think there's any way he can be on the team next year. I think you either stretch him out, which would mean stretching his contract, which means you have to pay like five hundred thousand for him or something like that. I think it's less than that. I think it's like under okay. four. Actually. Um, yeah. Or if what I would rather do is try to trade him for a useful player on like a tanking esque team and like attach a second round pick to it and just say, okay, we got, you know, for instead of Jonathan Simmons, we have a useful, useful guy somewhere, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's horrible. He is just excruciating. Uh, TJ, uh, our, our fair TJ, um, had a really uneven year, had like, would have a good three weeks and then an excruciating three weeks. Um, was a phenomenal teammate during the playoffs as he essentially got benched for Butler playing point guard. Uh, said after the season what an, a great decision that was by Coach Brown. TJ will always have an, an, an incredible place, I think, in, in my and our hearts uh, because he was the first live Ricky guest, because he made the team when I thought he had zero chance to make it, and because... He basically was the reason that we beat the Celtics even one time in that playoff series. Um, I don't think he will be back. I don't think it's impossible. But um, I would just like to express my gratitude for the TJ McConnell era in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. This, this, is, the, this is absolutely like a sentimental uh, signing if it happens. Um, I think you... I've seen that at the for for teams at this high of a level, it is not possible to play TJ in the playoffs um, as the playoffs get get deeper at least, and and that's because not because he doesn't try on defense, not because he doesn't make guys' life tough on defense, but also because he doesn't shoot, um, and it's it's frustrating to a point that he he never got himself to be able to just take reasonably quick shots off off the catch um the fact that he needs like a month of room i think really damaged his ability to be to to play because you know sometimes having a guy in there that's just like physicality and energy and speed um and annoying a guy in the backcourt for you know eight to 12 minutes a game like that's valuable we love that but i don't think you can have tj here with already with ben and hopefully jimmy as guys who like don't love to shoot off the catch. You just need guys who yeah. are willing to take those shots, and they're, and the Sixers had too many who weren't. Yeah, it's it's more about, I think it's less about TJ, who I think is a, a, a definite NBA player and a definite backup point sure. guard. I think it's just more about the roster and who you can play yeah. with. And they're, they're going to be doing so much, assuming everybody else comes back, which I think is a reasonable assumption, but not not definitely for sure. It, it makes it hard to like there's always somebody in the lineup that makes it hard for him to play with. And um, I think there is a place for him and I think he'll get a deal somewhere. And like, look, I'd be, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm never going to be upset if TJ McConnell is on the Sixers. I'll say that. But um, I, I think his, his best fit is probably somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's, I think we, we should probably just get used to the idea that he's not going to be here. Boy, that'll be a moment. Yeah, I like that's almost emergency pod moment when he signs somewhere. That's that. I mean, he's a great guy. They like they love him. Yeah, he's you know as 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 process tied as anybody else is. Um, 
and has been one of the one of one of the you know success stories of of that you know dumpster diving for playable players off the scrap heap and yeah i i want him to i hope he gets i hope he gets really paid if some team gives him like you know fucking like 322 like something like that oh there's no way i think somebody would dj augustine made seven seven point two five million dollars last year i think tj can be in that in that level i think somebody will will see and believe i hope so um at least if like a you know some team like i mean maybe atlanta does maybe maybe like lloyd pierce is like give me that guy give me that guy let me let me like show trey young how to like fucking fight and all that stuff I think there's. I think teams that have a hole at point guard or like a, a young point guard that need like some time. I think that 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 kind of thing. I think somebody will give will give him some money. Well, if if he signs with somebody else, we'll get TJ on the pod to say farewell and apologize for not slapping the fucking <laughs> hardwood when he had a chance. Uh, and that just uh, means it's going to keep going. We, that's the only reason to keep doing this podcast yep. is to wait to see who does it. Is wait for someone to slap the hardwood, Jonah Bolden. Um, had some moments, probably less than seven of them. <laughs> had had a lot of fucking. I would say over seven. I'd too. say like nine. Oh, uh, ooh, that is brave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know he'll be on the team next year. Um, his uh, his you know, I thought he was overall pretty bad. Uh, but his I don't know his athleticism and his willingness to shoot the shot looks okay even when it just hits the backboard um you know you have to give him another shot but i i thought given his age what's he 23 or 24 i i thought this year was a little disheartening for me yeah i mean there's a reason why he is with all with all that talent was a second round pick and then still stayed overseas and all that stuff um I I think there's I think there's some I think there's a very playable guy there and there's sometimes you draft guys who are raw and you're like this guy's gonna be really good for his second contract uh, and really helpful and maybe that's what you know kind of what Nerlens is doing when he found his role in in Oklahoma City um, and hopefully he gets he gets some money this offseason and, and finds a home um, I hope that they can simplify the game for Jonah in a way that just allows him to use his talents to help. And I think, I think it's there. Uh, I can't speak to how bad he wants it or how much work he's going to put into it, whatever, but he's absolutely talented. He's absolutely athletic enough. If, if there's a world where he figures it out and becomes Embiid's primary backup next season, I don't know that it's how likely it is. I don't know how, how much Sixers, coaching staff has faith in him getting there this quickly but like I think absolutely the, he is the kind of guy Jeremy Grant asked guy who you want like attacking the offensive rebounds like hustle plays different opportunities uh, can switch onto guards can step out and hit threes like all that stuff like that's what you want and if he can protect the rim enough without fouling as much and without like being out of place and out of position so much then that's exactly who you want I, I wonder if if he is just not going to get there and if, if the Sixers are too good to like wait for him to get there, I wonder if maybe some team sees the potential and the Sixers say like, hey, we can't wait for him, so we'll trade you this and get an improve here or there, like that kind of thing. Um, 
but there there's a lot of potential there and having this guy on a rookie deal is valuable when you need contributors on a rookie deal and he already is somewhat of a contributor so uh hopefully he figures it out this offseason and the Sixers just stay on his ass to to get there Incomplete grades, obviously, for Zaire Smith, uh, who gets a 10 out of 10 just for being alive and getting into He's going to be so good last, next year. And he did play a meaningful minute in the playoffs. No, I will no, die no. knowing that he played a meaningful minute as a rookie of the playoffs. <laughs> that did not happen. It was not More meaningful, meaningful minutes than Dario. I'm excited for Zaire. Oh, speaking of Zaire, um, and... Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I think the Brian Colangelo or the uh, the um, Brian Colangelo relationship advice. We'll have to wait for the next pod because we're at like an hour and a half so far. It's a good question. I wanted to give a quick update on um, Ben, our heart patient friend, um, whose surgery went well. You remember yes. him? Remember Ben? Of, of course. course. Um, here's a mess. A message for everybody. This is fucking insane. So, I, just for context, this is a listener of ours. He lived in Texas. He just moved to Colorado, actually. Um, who whose heart was so bad that he could not watch Sixers games because it it may be dangerous for him. He had a sort of risky procedure uh, the weekend of Fly the Process. Um, thank you. Uh, again, for everything the Rice Ricky Sanchez community has done for me this season. The support you generated for me while I was in the hospital made the stay seem a lot quicker than, than it was and has made recovery a lot easier than it should have been. And I really can't tell you how much that meant to me. Now that I'm fixed, I run two miles a day, have been playing basketball, and I'm moving to Colorado to restart my career in the sports industry I had to give up because of my heart. I can't wait for the complete craziness this offseason is going to bring. Wow. Um, He's fucking running and playing bad. Like he couldn't watch basketball two months ago, and now he's playing basketball. Amazing. So I think that's he's got to come to the next fucking Zaire. live event. Yeah, yeah. Well, I said, and we got to do Process Hall of Fame again in the fall. Um, Shake Milton was on a two-way, yeah. right? He will. Uh, so he's he will not, absolutely be on the team next year. 100%. Okay, all right. And uh, High Tower Highsmith, Haywood, Highsmith. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I look when I made I made a, a sample roster of next season and there's a, probably more rookies and young guys there than than the Sixers would like. Yeah. But I, I see something with Highsmith. I think that he he can be an absolute like you know you look at like fucking Utah's playing Royce O'Neal and Denver's playing Tory Craig like those kinds of guys that just like know their role know what to do can defend their ass off and then like step into an open shot and usually those guys are a little bit older. Haywood is is still pretty young, but I, I see something there, and I would love to have these kinds of guys on on cheap deals that that can just contribute. Just because the Sixers don't have a lottery pick doesn't mean that you're not going to get all of our draft stuff. Um, we we love doing the draft stuff, so of course we'll we'll have some special guests talking about draft. We will have your regular big board, and of course my YouTube big board. Um, I'm planning in about two years for the Anthony Simons uh, apology tour. I'm very, very excited <laughs> for that, um, as he did score 37 points in one NBA game this year. Wasn't it the last uh, NBA game? it's going to be a good offseason. Yes, but it was still 37 points. Sure. Uh, of course, we'll have the draft, and then we'll have free agency, which starts, I don't know if you saw this, starts on June 30th at 6 p.m. rather than midnight. So, um, so that's great. Good. And and then you'll have another trip to summer league, so and we'll have guests and all that. So I'm looking forward to a good. Off another season. big off season. All right, 
Um, that's the whole podcast. Oh, I, Are you I forgot to say. Oh, I saw Boban was on my plane. Oh, yes. And I asked you to get him to say the name. I didn't. I didn't. I, Boban was on my plane to L.A. And he sat in the first row for, I, I imagine, for legroom reasons. Um, and he's a, he's a sweet guy. A lot of people were talking to him and, and asking for pictures and stuff. Um, I thought about going up to him and saying stuff, but like, what am I, am I going to explain the podcast to him? <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. So I, I did one great season, Bobby, as I walked by and he said, thank you. And that was, that was it. So that's, that's the best you're going to get. I'm not a come up to random people guy. I mean, he was seemed like it's, it was tough people being like, some people knew him, obviously. Some people like just didn't. Were like, you're so tall. And I was like, come on guys. Yeah. <laughs> get a hold of yourself. Well, I talk a big game with that stuff, but I would never do that stuff to a guy in regular life. I was on the same plane as Covington once, and I, like, I, all I did was give him a nod. Sure. I think maybe I mumbled "big fan" yeah. or something. So, yeah. Boban and uh, uh, I was on a flight with Ben Francisco. If you remember the former Philly, yeah, um, of course, had a big hit huge in the playoffs one. once. Double left. Yeah, and uh, and I think I was on a plane with Carlos Ruiz as well before. So I'm, I'm building it out my portfolio of people I I don't talk to on planes. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, the offseason has begun. Are you down with TT? Yeah, you know, lick face. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile.